Listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820 brings you Foundations in Faith. Join Monsignor Frank Lane as he offers insights into the readings heard at Mass. And now, Foundations in Faith with Monsignor Frank Lane. This is Father Frank Lane, and we're continuing our program, Foundations in Faith. Today we're going to look at the Gospel according to St. Luke, chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. Jesus is now going to tell his disciples a parable, and, and we've seen before that it depends what these parables mean and how we interpret them depends upon to whom he is addressing them. This time it's to the disciples. And so it's not, you know, doing it in order for, for, to, to condemn them or point out their faults as it was, for instance, when he addresses the Pharisees in parables. But it's to help them to understand at a deeper level the relationship that they have with him and the relationship that, um, that they have um, with the whole body of faith, the whole idea of salvation. And so the parable begins, he said, Jesus told the disciples a parable about the need to pray continually and to never lose heart. He's been talking about faith, and Jesus has been talking about faith, and now he's talking about ways to sustain that faith. If we don't pray, our faith will not grow. And if our faith will not grow inside of ourselves, then we are diminished as far as what we have to offer to others. So prayer is an essential part of our life, of the life of faith, and it's that which opens the soul and opens the heart over and over again to, to the grace of God, to the love of God in our lives that, in, that enable us and enliven us to be faithful to him and to grow in knowledge and in wisdom and hope and in trust. And the parable is, there was a judge in a certain town who had neither fear of God nor respect for man. In the same town, there was a widow who kept on coming to him and saying, I want justice from you against my enemy. For a long time, the judge refused. But at last he said to himself, maybe I have neither fear of God nor respect for man, but since she keeps pestering me, I must give this widow her just rights, or she will persist in coming and, and worry me to death. And the Lord said, you notice that the unjust judge has to, what you notice what the unjust has to say? Now will not God see justice done to his chosen who cry to him day and night, even when he delays to help them? I promise you, you will see justice done to them and done speedily. But when the Son of Man comes, will he find any faith on earth? So this then is the parable and the Lord's reflection with his disciples upon that parable. The idea, of course, is clear. There is a judge who neither fears God nor respects man. Certainly, um, we know what this means. Certainly, we know that um, there are many times there are public officials who are in this very same situation and who, um, and who govern or rule or whatever they do or judge from only this myopic confines of their own personal um, observations, ideologies, and thoughts that never really move beyond into the larger reality of the world, but kind of see <clears throat> their position 
as a personal position and one that they can use as they please. We saw this same kind of smallness, the same kind of dangerousness when Jesus talked about um, the rich man and Lazarus. We saw that this was part of his... Um, part of his critique of wealth, not that wealth itself was wrong, but that it, what it does to someone is, is oftentimes wrong. And we looked at contemporary examples of those people who had an exaggerated sense of their power and their, their person and so forth because of the wealth that they possessed. Now we have here a public official, a judge, who is in the same situation He's taken his position basically as a sinecure for himself and doesn't see it really as, uh, as service to the community. And he has neither fear of God nor respect for men. And we see that all the time in our societies, all of our societies. Those who do not believe in God, those who do not fear him, and those who do not respect anyone who disagrees with them or anyone who sees things differently than they do. And uh, the, more, the more myopic their world becomes, of course, the more people there are who don't see things their way, and therefore the less respect they have, the public official has for humanity. But he points out that the widow now plays a very active role. A widow's an interesting person in the, in the, in the New Testament. The widows are, generally speaking, the poorest of the poor. Um, in the Old Testament, women inherited, um, and they inherited from their fathers, they inherited from their husbands. In the age of the rabbis, that privilege was taken away from them. And so when they were widowed, they lost all of their possessions. They lost, all of, they lost everything, not just their husbands, but their livelihoods as well. And, um, and they became basically dependent upon their children or upon relatives or friends or whoever for, for their livelihood and uh, probably would, you know, take on small cottage industry jobs of some sort to give themselves some, some, some money. But whatever they had with their husband, they no longer had. So they were the kind of the lowest rung of society economically. So when he was wanting to say, so therefore, when a very disenfranchised, very poor person comes to this judge who doesn't fear God and doesn't respect anybody, and she comes to him, of course, he's very dismissive of her. Why would he waste his time? Why would he bother his time on someone who can do him no good? Um, because... Lot, a lot of times when people are in this position, the only ones that they, that they judge for, legislate for, govern for, are those who can in some way, shape, or form be of assistance to them, whether it's in the electorate or whether it's financially or, or socially or any other way. But the woman kept coming to him saying, I want justice from you against my enemy. We have no idea who this enemy is and we have no idea what the justice is. But apparently it is a, it, it, it is a strong enough um, argument that we can presume certain things, that, uh, that perhaps there were debts that were owed to, uh, to her family before her husband died and the people are refusing to pay. 
Um, perhaps it's, it's uh, somebody in, trying to take over her territory or take over her, her dwelling because uh, she doesn't have a lot of money to keep it and they can buy it out from under her. All of those kinds of things remain possible. We don't know what it is. But the judge simply ignores her. Even though there would appear to be a very just cause that she had, a very just cause. And so, but eventually she wouldn't give up. She didn't say, oh, well, you know, the judge refused to refuse me, the judge didn't listen to me, the judge, no. She kept coming back over and over and over again. And finally the judge says to himself, you know, I don't fear God and I don't respect anyone but she's bothering me. And if I just make the decision for her and give her her rights, maybe she'll leave me alone and quit pestering me and quit annoying me. Once again, he's willing to do justice only for his own sake, only for his own well-being and only for his, his, his own sense of comfort. And, uh, and so the widow gets what she asks for. And the judge, is able, therefore, to exercise his office as he should have done in the very beginning. Now the Lord then said to the disciples, that's the parable he tells them. Now the Lord then says to the disciples, you notice that the unjust judge, you notice what the unjust judge has to say. You know that, well, you know, if she keeps bothering me, maybe I'll just give her what she wants. And then he goes on to say, if an unjust judge will give that through persistence, then will not God give you also, through your persistence, that which you need and that which you, you, which you plead to him for? And so he's trying then to give the disciples a sense, a, a sense of, of security and a sense of, uh, of being, um, having, having confidence and trust in, in him. And he says, um, I promise you that he will see justice. The one who comes to God will see justice done to them. And so he's saying that, the, that, that our prayer, our persistence, is what places us in the presence of God, what makes us in the presence of God able to make our appeals to God for those things which we feel are necessary, important, and that we need in our life. But then he says something strange at the end. Then Jesus says, but when the Son of Man comes, will he find any faith on earth? In other words, are people willing to be persistent if they have to wait? And this has to do with the, um, with the eschaton, with the parousia, with the second coming of the Lord. How long will people hang on before they simply lose confidence in the fact that it's ever going to happen? And so, and as such then, they continue then to fail to come to God and to ask him. But he has already told them, you know, he said that this can be discouraging. This wait for the end of time can be discouraging. But, um, but he also has told us that, you know, nobody knows when that's going to happen. And then, but he says something else in Luke's gospel, which is extremely important. And that is, he has already reminded them, what are you waiting for? For the kingdom of God is among you. That's the interesting thing for us, 
the kingdom of God is Jesus Christ, and that our partaking in his person is that which takes us, therefore, into eternal life and into eternal happiness and fulfillment. And this is a strange kind of way that we have to go about this, but this parable gives us the opportunity to do that. Basically, the parable says, don't get discouraged, because you don't really understand the whole thing. And what you, what you pray for, you will get, but you will get it in, in, in ways that are best for you, in ways that are, in some way, um, contribute to your eternal life, to your depth. To your, to your life of faith, to your goodness, all of that kind of thing, to your courage and suffering and, and all of those things. This, this will happen. But what is this kingdom that we look for? What is this, this eschatological reality that we search? There's tomes written on it. Um, you know, um, Father Ratzinger wrote probably a very, very important book on, called Eschatology, which is simply meaning the end times. <clears throat> but then Jesus says, but it's already here. It's already among you. How do, we, how do we interpret that? How do we understand that? What do we do with that? And I think one thing we have to go back and to understand is this. It centers and it focuses around the idea of the incarnation of the Lord. The Lord took on human nature, not to add to his divinity, but to contribute his divinity to our humanity. The closer we come to him, the more integrated we are in him, the more we share the divine nature of the Son of God. And that we are drawn to that throughout the life of the church and throughout our, our own understanding. We're drawn to that sacramentally, first of all. We're drawn to that, of course, in, in baptism and then in, in, uh, in confession and marriage and orders and, and anointing and penance, all of those kinds of things. But especially when we partake of his body and blood in the Eucharist and he becomes part of us. And in becoming part of us, we become part of him. So that every time we receive the Eucharist, we are moving a step closer to the eternal kingdom because we are taking a step more deeply into the mystery of the person who is the eternal kingdom. And I think it's hard for us sometimes to wrap our minds around that because, because we, we have we have in our humanity struggled in many ways to picture what eternal life would be like, what heaven would be like, and so forth. Um, and we kind, of, we kind of oftentimes come up with, with, with very inadequate imagery, even some of the great art that portrays it and so forth. There's, there's still an inadequacy in the imagery in many ways. Because we can go all the way from, you know, the, the, the Islamic garden of physical pleasures, um, you know, to the, uh, I don't know, to the idea of a church ice cream social or something, to, to just a place where everybody gets along because everybody, you know, likes each other now and all this. And, but we keep what we, what the point is, we keep extending the present age into that age, into that kingdom. And that's understandable because that's our frame of reference. That's what we know. That's what we've experienced. That's what we've understood. 
But we have the possibility to understand it at a deeper level if we are to move deeply then into the story of the church and her sacraments and the word and try as anyone might to separate the, the life of the sacramental life of the church from the eternal kingdom and make it simply ritual or simply, you know, rituals of passage or, or, or Christian forms of bar mitzvah or, or whatever, whatever we do with it. That's not what it is. When we begin the journey, we begin the journey into the person of Christ who has taken our humanity onto himself. And we move through that humanity more deeply into the mystery of the divine son. And this then is what Jesus is talking about when he says the kingdom of God is among you. But he can also say, after we have received the sacramental life of the church, the kingdom of God is within you. For eternal life, we have no idea what it looks like, but we certainly know that it is participation in the life of Jesus Christ. It is an active, real participation, not just symbolic participation, but real participation in the very person of Jesus Christ, in which he takes us into himself as he has entered into ourselves. And as he does continually build us up to that, through the sacrament of the Eucharist especially, because that's the one we can receive even daily if we choose to do so. And even daily, it draws us more deeply into the heart of Christ, into the person of Christ. But he says, if you're waiting for something else, which we are, because he will come again in his glory, and uh, if you're waiting for something else and you don't see you're on the journey, you don't see you've already got one foot in the door, you don't see that you're already part of the story of eternity, if you don't see that, you'll get impatient. And if you get impatient, you'll cease being persistent. And if you cease being persistent, you'll see, cease praying. And if you cease praying, then you have abandoned your relationship with the faith, that instrument which helps faith deepen in us that we might see this ultimate mystery that we've been talking about. And, and so it becomes, it, it becomes to him he's, what he's saying in the last sentence, but will, what, will he find any faith on earth when he comes? How many people will just give up because they don't know what they're doing, because they don't see what they're doing, or because they have separated themselves from the possibility of doing it? I think that we turn once again, and, and, and I think legitimately so, to St. Elizabeth of the Trinity. She, she is the one who um, has, she had a, a very deeply theological mystical life, very honestly. And in a letter, I think, in 1905 to, uh, to the Abbe Chevignard, what she says is, you know, she's referring to the Eucharist, and she said, isn't, isn't this... Isn't this itself heaven? And the answer is, yes, it is heaven. It is Jesus Christ, and therefore it is heaven. And we have taken it into ourselves, and it has taken us into itself. And this relationship, this bond between, between time and between eternity is broken by our straddling the chasm 
by being part of the life of Christ now as we anticipate being totally and completely in him in the final in the final times and in the final judgment and in the final kingdom of god in order to do this what and and you know it's it's even from from this sense of uh, that we have we we should not be discouraged because the end has not come nor because the end is coming in us each time we become a part of the Lord. We can do this through prayer, powerfully and existentially through sacrament. We can do it in all sorts of ways. And Jesus here says that although we may not, we may not believe altogether, that he's going to answer our deepest needs and our deepest prayers. His answer to us really is, I am already doing so. I am already drawing you into that world. I'm already drawing you into that mystery, which is eternity. We have, we, we have another thing that we have to grapple with in all of this too, to kind of get our minds around this relationship between Jesus and ourselves in this world. We have to come to know and to understand that time itself is a created entity. When we talk about eternity, we're not talking about the endless multiplication of days. We're talking about a moment that never ends. We're talking about a moment that has no limitations, that has no constrictions, that never goes away. We're talking about an eternal and present and I think that, you know, if we look back in our lives and we can say to ourselves, what was the most joyful moment of our life? What was the most happiest and joyful moment of our lives? And then we can say our only understanding of heaven is that that joyful, that, that kind of sense of joyfulness lasts forever. And it is a perpetual moment outside of time and in eternity. I think... That's something that's hard for us, too, because we have no experience of being outside of time. And so how do we say that time is a created entity, that when we die, that time ends, and we're taken out of that created entity into the uncreated reality of God? Um, we, we can't imagine this. We can't, I mean, great artists struggle to portray this kind of cosmic vision of redemption, but nothing that we can rate and nothing that we construct will be adequate for us to understand what it is. And that's why Jesus is telling the disciples, so keep praying, because you don't have it all yet. You, you, have, you, you, have, you have more of it than you tend to know that you have of it, but you don't have everything yet. And so continue then, because if the unjust judge would give the lady her due because of her persistence, how much more surely will the just judge, who is God and does love man, how much more securely and surely is he going to respond to our needs and our petitions? 
we, we, we have all sorts of different levels of needs in our lives, all the way from the very petty um, daily kinds of things that we do need help with and we, and we do need strength for, um, up until the great, the great reality of our life, which is our encounter, final encounter with the, with the living God and our destiny for our destiny in eternity that we need the Lord all the way along the way. He's given us helpers along the way. He's given us people that we can take confidence from and we can look to. That's why we pray to the saints, not because we can't ask the Lord for something, but because they're fellow travelers. And, um, and they have already arrived at where we hope to go. And they have the great capacity then to, to be encouragements for us and to be intercessors for us and so forth. I know that there, are, that there are theological systems that say once a person, once someone is dead, they no longer are able to have any contact with the living. Um, I don't think that's our tradition, and, and I don't think that's what we believe. Um, Therese of Lisieux actually says, you know, I'm going to spend my heaven doing good upon earth. That, um, that she very much intends, therefore, to be of assistance to us in our needs. And that, um, and that that closeness and that personal closeness with God actually, in some ways, trumps um, theological theory um, or speculation. But I think that we know that whatever they, they want to say, that there is still a relationship with those who have gone before us um, and those who are still here. That, uh, that, that there is not, not visual and not physical contact but we have a sense that we know that, that there is that there that that beyond us are those whom we have loved and who have loved us, and that death does not destroy love. Death perfects love, and so their love for us is more perfect than it has ever been. Ours for them is still imperfect, and we still depend on them, and we still come to them, and we still ask them for things. We ask the Canaanite saints, but we also ask the holy people of our lives who have gone before us also to reach back, to help us, to, to enter more deeply into this mystery, which Jesus already says is among us. So when he's talking to his disciples then about the need to pray continually and then never lose heart, when he's talking about that, he's trying to encourage us not to give up not to lose heart because what we, what, and, and he's saying this specifically, you know, to the disciples, who they expected a great military leader, a great king, somebody like that. And what they got was the Lord and he wasn't what they wanted. He wasn't what, what they had expected or had counted on. And, and so it would be easy for them then to get discouraged and say, well, what's the difference? What's the point? You know, we waited all this time and then, and then nothing, is what it's, nothing is what it seems to be. Um, and nothing came the way we wanted it to come. And it's the same way today. We can say, well, I want, you know, I want peace in the world or, or I want peace in my family or I want, um, you know, I want a good job or, or I, I want to whatever I want, whatever I need. I, I want someone I love to be physically healed and all of this kind of thing. So we, we, can, we can ask this continually, but we will not ask it if we do not believe it's being heard. And what Jesus is saying is, yes, it is heard. It is heard because it's drawing you and all of your intentions more deeply into the heart of the living God 
and in so doing, assuring you that your prayers will in fact be answered and your persistence will be rewarded. The persistence is necessary, is necessary because without it, we discouraged, lose heart and lose faith. Let the Son of Man, when he comes, certainly find faith on earth and let that faith be ours, alive and strong and desiring union with him and union with all people in the heart of Christ who has come to save us and to redeem us. Foundations in Faith is a production of listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820. Archives of Foundations in Faith are available at stgabrielradio.com. Yeah.